this too shall pass. I think that's the main thing, Uh, like as all things, this too shall pass. Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead ethics and formation for St Vincent's. And in this episode, it's a joy for me to welcome Melinda Jolly, who's pastoral care coordinator at St Vincent's Private Hospital in Sydney. As part of the continuation of our mission, St Vincent's has a deep and integral commitment to reconciliation. And at the time of our recording this episode, not only is the world responding to the pandemic, but also the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police in the US and the protests that have followed around the world, including here in Australia. Melinda and I are going to take some time a little later on in the interview to chat about this in the context of our mission at St Vincent's as well. So Melinda, welcome. It's really great to have you here today. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Dan. I'm, I'm really um, chuffed to be chatting to you today. I very much look forward to this conversation, Melinda. And I wonder if we could just start with um, a question about your position as pastoral care coordinator at St Vincent's Private there in Sydney. What's it been like for you in this position over the last couple of months as the pandemic's arrived on our shores? Hey, it's um, it's been very difficult, difficult um, amongst the staff and the patients, um, but it is part of that idea of not having control. I think that has been the biggest uh, problem. Like we can't change it; it is what it is, and we don't know what next week's going to bring. I think that's really difficult for people, and it just makes you start to think of how we're meant to respond to that. And I think the only way to respond is to be hopeful and to find the positives that this current pandemic might have within all the negatives that that are so easy to sort of find. Um, And for us, it's been finding different ways to work. It's um, understanding the improvement in environment, realising that we don't need to be at the work site all Mm. the time that we can actually work. Our technology does allow us to work from home and quite well. Uh, getting used to those meetings online, knowing that, yeah, they, they start off being very embarrassing and, and sort of a bit awkward and that sort of thing. But over time, people have gotten so used to doing them, you know, and new skills. So many people learning new skills in this sort of environment. So it has brought opportunity as well as a, diff- a very difficult environment. But, yeah, it's the way we respond, I mm. think, that can really matter. Yes, it's almost in the, in the face of the unpredictability of all this. Uh, we've been called upon to show our nimbleness, haven't we, and the, the, the creativity that we have. And we actually are quite adaptive creatures when we're in a situation which requires it. But also that stress, isn't it, of not knowing what the next chapter will bring and, and, and what that might require of us. But Melinda, you've also had um, a patient-facing role in this time. What have you noticed in the patient community at this time? How are they responding? I've actually found, like uh, like everywhere, a range of responses. But 
generally, they have been actually quite resilient. Um, I, I've been quite amazed at our, our elderly patients. Most of our patients are elderly. Sometimes they do speak about their family members. Uh, they might have lost their jobs or lost their business, but they talk about it with a sadness, but with a resilient attitude. Uh, it's like things will be okay. Um, like at the moment, it's really bad, but n- there's always a hopefulness behind the way they speak. And I think that's because they talk about what they've lived through, like they've been so much through so much in their lifetime. And we have so much to learn from the elderly in our country. They truly have a, a, a gift that time has given them to show that, you know, things do happen in the world and we can't always control that, but we get on with it anyway and they pass. You know, so that they're a wonderful resource for younger generations, including myself, who've never had to face the kind of things that we're facing today. Um, you know, um, my daughter's wedding has had to be postponed, and that sort of we never thought that that would even happen in our country. Like you know, things like that. Whereas, yeah, the elderly, they're like, oh, it's okay. It'll it'll happen. It'll be fine, you know. And, and also said with that tinge of, of sadness, that tinge of, um, you know, oh, that's such a shame. It must be difficult for them and, and very upsetting and it's a shame it can't go through. But not said with a devastation, you know, that can be um, common at the moment as people are finding it very difficult to cope with the pandemic. That's really interesting, Melinda. And it, it, it actually, I think it reflects really nicely on the first point you made as well, that we're so used to being able to control our circumstances uh, and our generations have, have, you know, lived a whole life in which that has been our dominant way of being. And then all of a sudden it's interrupted by this pandemic. And yet those who are older have this lengthy kind of experience in the pedagogy of time, which teaches yes. them and, and, and through them teaches mm. us that, okay, well, you can't control now, but actually, you know, in, in the longer scheme of things, whilst this is very disappointing, you, you'll be all right. That's right. That's exactly right. It's, um, yes, it, it's quite amazing. It's, it's been a, a wonderful experience for me to listen to them and to hear their stories. It's, it's been a wonderful journey. Yeah, what a beautiful gift to have, especially at this time. Melinda, what about the staff community? Pastoral care is always called upon for the dual role of caring for patients and for staff. How are the staff community responding? Hey, the, st- the staff have been really, really fantastic. Um, there was a general concern about job security in the beginning, which is understandable. I mean, the hospital... The, the numbers just dropped dramatically and it, it's it's a re- realistic thing that, you know, we are not for profit, but of course we need income to be able to pay our workers. Um, but uh, the management had that a very quick response to say that everyone's jobs are safe. Um, how that was going to work out, we didn't know, but we, we had that security at the beginning um, so there was definite um, anxiousness after this. It was sort of like um, nursing staff and, and doctors and everyone had to gear up for this this thing that's going to happen, this big impact we're going to have from this pandemic. 
and then there was there was sort of like this anxiousness. It was like um, they had all been prepared. They, they were completely prepared for something that wasn't coming yet. So it's sort of like they were sitting on this knife edge and, you know, I said to a couple of people, it reminded me of um, Lord of the Rings <laughs> and they're waiting for a battle to happen and and it was um, one of the hobbits who said, I, I don't like the thought of being in a in a battle, but sitting on the edge of one I can't escape is worse. Wow. And that's what I thought of. That's that's how I felt when I was watching these nursing staff all being ready and, and waiting for this moment to start, uh, which didn't actually happen for us. So, um, which is great. Like that, that's fantastic <laughs> that it didn't. So then there's been a bit of joyousness. So there's been we've had less patients. So there's been a bit less stress. There's been more time to spend with some of these patients, so you can you can see a calmness that is now sort of really prevailing around the world wards and the, and uh, a happiness in the environment, uh, and of course the upskilling and or new skilling. It's there's been some great education with nurses being deployed into different areas. So I think um, having experience in different areas is a great thing. Now you get a, a much broader understanding of how the hospital works and, mm-hmm. and a broader knowledge of, of other um, staff members as well. And so, yeah, that's sort of what I've, I've noticed from the staff. Yeah, what a remarkable shifting of things, isn't it? In just three months' time, you go from this preparation phase to the knife edge, and what a beautiful quote from Lord of the Rings um, about Mm. that particular experience and then the creativity and and generativity that comes out of that. And, Melinda, you you said a few things about St Vincent's Private Sydney there. What what are your reflections on how St Vincent's as a whole has responded to the pandemic? I think um, it, it it has responded in a lot of fantastic ways. I think that they have been um, wonderful that their focus has been on the health and safety of their staff as much as the community. They've done everything they can to make sure that, that staff are kept safe and that they can respond to the need within the community. I think they have actually done a, a very, very good job Although sometimes I think it can be a little bit over the top. Like um, sometimes uh, we've been talking about things where they, they're talking about, oh, well, how are we going to work this in the world of COVID-19? And sometimes I think, well, this will be in the world whether we had COVID-19 or not. Mm. So I think so. there's been so much focus on it that now lots of things are focused on it, even when it's not necessary. But at the same time, that can may not be a bad thing because at least it's always on their mind, how can we do this for the health and safety of all? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's interesting, isn't it, how um, you almost Mm -hmm. can't have a conversation anywhere in the world at the moment without it mentioning COVID-19. And as you say, that's very relevant Mm -hmm. sometimes and sometimes it's only peripheral, but it has forced this kind of self-awareness about so many things, hasn't it? And many of the things that we take for granted, going back to some of your original points there as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, it's wonderful that we have we have security on the door asking questions for mm. everyone who walks in and that we, we do have our temperature checked. I found that all of those um, precautions are great for staff. It makes you feel um, completely safe when you're inside the environment. Mm. But it's been great for the patients. The, 
when I go up there, they say, oh, especially at the beginning, they were so worried about coming in. But when they've come in, they, they've got no worries at all anymore and they mm-hmm. feel completely safe while they've been inside our hospitals. So that's that's wonderful to know that, that that's how the patients are feeling yeah. and that's what we want them to feel. What a great result. Um, Melinda, just changing the, the direction slightly in our conversation here. As you know, I've mm-hmm. interviewed quite a few people for the podcast now. I think we're, we're coming up to mm-hmm. the 20th episode, actually. And many wow. of those mm-hmm. have been in the organisation for a long time. Now, you're a more recent mm-hmm. arrival, um, but you've mm-hmm. taken on the richness of the organisation very quickly. And I wondered if there was a story from St Vincent's that comes to mind for you, which holds together those themes of the podcast compassion, courage, and consolation? For me, um, it's actually the original founding nuns who came here. I, uh, When I first heard the story, because I didn't know the story, I only started um, end of July or beginning of August last year, and I had never heard of these women. I, I had nothing really to do with St Vincent's at all. So to hear this story of these women their incredible fortitude to come over here as the first um, uh, religious to arrive on Australian shores. I, I just, I can't even imagine the fortitude to come over here and the way that they worked in the community is just awe-inspiring. They they developed their um, this hospital from nothing. They you know, worked with the people, the, the women in the, the prisons at Parramatta. They worked with the people in the jail nearby. Um, it was just quite incredible. And and the 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 nous of them, like the intelligence of them to be able to see opportunities is also incredible. Like the, the you know, the courage to go and ask for the land grant and, and get this land here at Darlinghurst and, you know, be begging on the streets for the money to build a hospital to service the people. I I just, I I think of these women at that time and, you know, it'd be hard enough for a man to do this sort of thing, but for women at that time to be given um, the opportunity to really work in the community, and I shouldn't say given the opportunity, they made it happen. Mm. They, you know, their incredible passion to do this for people. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line is that their, their whole motivation comes from their faith and their compassion to, to help others. You know, that, that compassion, it, it impels them. As I said, you know, the, the um, charity of Christ urges us on them. They, they, they had this idea that this is what their their lives are meant to mean. So they they're moved for, by compassion, and that this idea of the of Christ urging them on gives them that courage, the courage to do incredible things to found this hospital, you know. And the consolation is is within themselves. They they. They find within their within their faith and within their little community the consolation to help them continue on. You know, it just that's the story that has inspired me so much, and to really see that this is that's the foundation of all St Vincent's mm. is the compassion for the people. You know. 
Yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully yeah. reflected, Melinda. And it's so true, mm. isn't it? And what a remarkable chapter mm. in the last yes. 200 years of Australia's history that these women oh, came absolutely. here and, and gave us such a gift of these services. And one of the beautiful things um, Chris Jacobs Vandergeer from ACU said to me, he was on the podcast mm. a couple of episodes ago, um, was mm. that one of the things we do when, and you and I are both students of theology, when we, when we study mm -hmm. our theologies, we look at our histories for cues from those people who lived out their faith in beautiful ways in the past to give us indications yeah. of what we might do today. And I think you've described mm. that so beautifully in terms of the founding story of St. Vincent's. Yeah. Oh, it just, it, it's, it's true. It, it, it is the foundation. It is the, the story. It is the way of working within the community. And it's, it's this example that has been held throughout the time that St. Vincent's has been here. And it still is. You know, it is it is the story of St Vincent's. Mm. Melinda, what mm. about you? What consoles you? What gives you courage? And what's, what helps you to keep up the compassion, especially in trying times like the one we've been through now? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a good question, but it is a hard question in, in times like COVID. Uh, it can be easy to respond in negative ways, but you're right. You need to have that that consolation and what gives you courage to be able to, to keep up that compassion with everyone. What consoles me is definitely my family, love, music for me too, quiet reflection, all of those things consoles me. It's like that, that, that feeds me. It comforts me. It's where I get my strength from. And... It, it's what gives me the courage is my faith in Jesus and to be a student of, of the cross of Jesus, the truth of Jesus and the justice of Jesus. So those things give you courage. So I, I'm given the gift of family and love and, and that sort of thing that feeds my spirit. I'm then given the courage through the truth and justice and the cross. And it's that that gives me the courage to be out there, to be compassionate, to have the love for others, to be a vessel of light in the world. I know that sounds probably very more theological, but <laughs> but that's what I'm called to be. I'm called to be um, a light, especially in this particular time of COVID, you know, and, and to know that, you know, we encounter people all the time and it's just... It, it, you don't have to have this massive encounter. You don't have to have this huge theological debate or, you know, these wonderful insights, really. What you need, what for me, what I need to know is that everything I do tries to be compassionate. So with every little encounter, it, there has to be like a, a, like a smile, a good morning or, or something like that, just something really little um, because just, walking past them because all of those little things it can carry more meaning and healing than what we know you know I don't know what that other person is going through this day and just a smile might be the first smile they've seen all day and it could be three o'clock in the afternoon for all I know you know I, I, I don't know what people are going through but that's what I feel is my my part of my role 
is to try and keep some sort of a, a, a compassion and an acknowledgement to every person I try and encounter every day. And I'm able to do that through the consolation and the courage that I gain. Yeah, wow, that's really beautiful, Melinda. And what a what a wonderful way of framing it as vessels of light. And it echoes so much of that rich uh, biblical tradition of guiding the people out of darkness and, and into light. And also I think it just captures, and I'm sure those listening are hearing this echoed through our discussion today, the kind of person you are and what you bring in through your service at St Vincent's and, and, and in life as well. But how beautiful too to mm-hmm. anchor so deeply um, both in a faith tradition but also in the tradition of your family and those who are around you, mm-hmm. wrapping wrapped around you in, in love and also the beauty of the mm-hmm. world in, in music and so on it's just great mm-hmm. and Melinda I wonder if I could just ask you this is a new question I haven't asked anyone else because it's a question for this particular moment in time um, at, at the mm-hmm. time that you and I are recording we're, we're not just experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic the world is also seeing another huge uprising through the extraordinary Black Lives Matter protests in the US following the murder of George Floyd and the echoes of that which mm-hmm. have rolled out across the world, including here in Australia. As a proud Aboriginal woman, do you have any reflections on this moment? Yeah, it's incredibly sad and disheartening. Um, You would think by now people would understand that your colour of your skin or your heritage doesn't matter, Um, but it does. It's truly sad. And in a lot of ways, uh, when you did the comment earlier from Chris Jacobs-Vandegeer when he talks about the history and how that history is is felt, it's still there and it's still really being felt. Um, you know, I, I think I am grateful in a lot of ways that we don't have that kind of uh, horrible violence that America does have. I'm pleased we don't have the gun culture that America has and this real dominating ideal that they have. I'm so pleased we don't have that. Mm. Um, I think there's real, real danger in in domination in whatever forms, especially if people are being peaceful or compliant or even if they're not being peaceful and compliant, even if they don't have a capacity to fight back. Um, such as being handcuffed, you know, you don't have a capacity to do anything anymore. So why, why have to dominate over is is incredibly sad. Um, I, I think in our country, it's it, we don't have that kind of reaction, no, but I think there is definitely still a, a, a domination over and it's more subtle in Australia, I think. I, um, Oh, subtle in some places, not in others. I think that we um, certainly have a culture where Aboriginal people seem to be, on the whole, accepted. But we seem to be accepted on the white people's terms. Mm. And when we move outside of that acceptance, then we're put in our place. Um, Anything that does not... I, I think fall into the narrative of a white understanding of Aboriginal people makes it uncomfortable for white people. And I don't like being 
uncomfortable. They don't like being in that space of being uncomfortable. Um, I, I, you know, think of Adam Goods and his reaction. Uh, you know, you watch that the documentary film on Adam Goods, and it's quite clear uh, that to me, as an Aboriginal person, that he is very much was completely put in his place. Um, very much so. And I think um, it, it's very sad and I, and I think we really feel it. I think it's hard for Aboriginal people to say things sometimes uh, and even just simple things. Like uh, I gave an example one day talking here, here at work and we were talking about how, how can we be um, more positive and more respectful to Aboriginal people? We think we are respectful to them, but we're not. And a simple example that I gave was, you know, in, in this world where we're trying to be, um, lots of people are trying to be more genderless and, and accepting that people can be called what they like and, you know, trying to not assume whether you're Mr, Mrs, <laughs> whatever. But we have also respectful titles. We have titles for people who are doctors. We have titles for people who are um, in the army. We have titles for people who are in government. Where's our title for Aboriginal leaders? Mm. You know, it's a simple thing. It's a little thing. But it, it shows how we do not think of our Aboriginal community. And it's, it's those little things that if we can start to think about them in those little things, the bigger things come. Mm. You know? Um, and then we might be seen as a separate entity, as as a group within Australia. Not I shouldn't use the term separate. We are all Australians. I don't want to come across that I don't believe that. I do believe that. But have us allowed to be ourselves and our own people amongst the people of Australia mm. and be able to say and do things that might be uncomfortable for white people but allowing us to be ourselves out of that box a little bit. Yeah, that's really that's a really rich reflection, Melinda. Thank you so much for sharing that. And one can, I mean, there's there's enormous amount of substance in what you're saying too in terms of it's almost like let, let's show these symbolic things, but let's make sure they have their roots deep down uh, in a, in a yes. systemic recognition, not merely tokenism, but something that runs much, much deeper. And there are also um, echoes of this, aren't there, in the St. Vincent story itself, uh, because one of the other th remarkable things that those first five women did was intentionally try to um, work well with Australia's Indigenous people when they arrived, which in that time as well was quite an extraordinary thing. So this is, I mean, COVID is something that our organisation has been called to respond to, absolutely. But so too this area and that um, kind of myopic focus on COVID, which you mentioned before, can't distract us from some of the other things that we're called to respond to as well. Absolutely, and you, you're right. The, the, those five women were quite amazing, and it was completely ahead of their time to do the work that they did with the Aboriginal community and and getting to know them and, and wanting to work with them. It really was quite amazing. 
And yeah, he is hoping that this moment in time where we have an opportunity, as you were reflecting on before, Melinda, to do so many new things, that this might also give us the opportunity for more meaningful reconciliation. I would hope so. I really would hope so. I felt um, a difference actually in where we had the bushfires. I felt there was a real positive response in what Aboriginal culture could give to Australia. And that's the first time I've really felt like that. I've really felt like we have something that can help. We have something that we can give you. Um, and, and, and I think that there was a real recognition of that during the bushfire. And, yeah, really the first time I've heard it, you know, I, um, I reflect often on I'm Sorry Day. And um, that was a really important day for me. Uh, I didn't realise as, I mean, I, I do have, I am Aboriginal woman and I do identify. At the same time, I do have uh, a European past as well. And on that day where we had the nation saying sorry, I had not realised my feelings until that day that I had always felt both proud and ashamed at the same time. If I was proud of one part of my heritage, I was ashamed of the other. And I did not know that until that day when the apology came and I was sitting crying and for the first time I felt proud of my whole heritage. Yeah. Oh, Melinda, that's extraordinary. Thank you so much for sharing it and for sharing those extra reflections in the podcast too. It's been, it's always mm -hmm. wonderful chatting with you and I always enjoy it. And um, it's just been so enriching and wonderful today to talk to you on the podcast. We always finish with one final question, Melinda. So drawing a thread through all of the wonderful things you've, you've shared with us today, is there anything you'd like to say to all of our St. Vincent staff at this time? Um, this too shall pass. I think that's the main thing, uh, like as all things, this too shall pass. And, and to know that, um, you know, when Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't come to condemn. He says that, you know, he came to save. Everything will be okay. You, you know, we can find meaning and healing even in this time. And to look at what this time is giving us, where are the gifts? There, there are gifts there. We just need to look at them. Linda Jolly, thank you so much for being with me on the podcast today. It's been wonderful to have you. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod, his track, Bittersweet, let us in, and you can hear his track, Touching Moments, one now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io, and the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>